Spirit, Lord, has got for us today what you would have to say for us. And help me, God, to say what you want me to say and to, uh, to uh, make sure that your Spirit is the one leading this discussion as we dig into your Word. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last time, John 10, we did the first 21 verses. If you weren't here or if you, know, you missed it on, online or whatever, didn't listen to it, the whole, the whole premise, nine, chapter 9 was the man born blind. Jesus healed the man born blind. You remember, this is just a quick recap. And the man born blind in uh, chapter 9 was all about the Pharisees uh, disputing with the man. They did not want to submit to Jesus. They didn't want to recognize his authority. So what they did, they took the man born blind and they just ran him through the ringer. They were questioning him, questioning his parents, questioning all these, you know, trying to find a loophole to get out. And finally, the man born blind, his testimony just held and uh, they could not argue with him. He had been blind and now he can see and that was... All he could testify to, so they ended up throwing him out of the synagogue, excommunicating him, and then out in the world, wherever he went, wherever he was, Jesus came to him and found him, and it says that that Jesus revealed himself to him, and the man worshipped Jesus. And then in the first part of chapter 10... You see, we see that the Pharisees are, are uh, they're complaining a little bit because Jesus called them blind. He said, the blind man can see, but you guys are blind. And so what he told them a parable. You remember the parable we talked about last week about the sheepfold? You know, he's saying the, the people of God are the sheep in the sheepfold. And anybody who tries to come in other than the door, outside of the door, then they are the thieves and the robbers. And if... Uh, if uh, you know, the uh, the one who comes through the door, he's the shepherd. And so he told that parable, and he was proving how blind the Pharisees were. Y'all remember all that? And where we left it last time was that there was a division among the Pharisees. They were, some of them were like, uh, some of them were going, you know, this Jesus man, he, he's a sinner because he heals on the Sabbath and all this. And then some of them were like, well, he's got to be from God because people that aren't from God, they can't heal people like this. Y'all remember? Everybody with me? There was a division. So that's where we left it. And then if we start in, uh, as we start in chapter 10, uh, verse 22, um, what we're going to see right here is that the the Jews, the Pharisees, they're going to reject Jesus in this gospel for the last time. Uh, as we move into chapter 11 next week, uh, we're going to see the raising of Lazarus. Y'all know about that. And then as we move into 12 and 13, 13 begins the last week of Jesus' life. And he's going to just focus on teaching the disciples. So really, this is, this is kind of the last rejection. He's offered the Pharisees chance after chance after chance. He's offered them his word. You know, he's told them all these things and they've rejected him over and over and over again. And so what we're going to see here is pretty much the final rejection uh, for these Pharisees. Uh, and so they come to him. They're like, Jesus, look, we're tired of all the parables. We're tired of all this fancy talking and all this uh, riddles and Old Testament mysteries. You just need to come out and say, if you're the Messiah, you come out and tell us. We want you to tell us right now. So let's read in verse 22. And if you have any questions questions, just stop. Have anything to say, just stop me and we'll talk about it. Verse 22 says, 
And it was at Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication, which is today known as Hanukkah. Uh, it, it, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple of so- in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews round about him, they came round him, and they said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? What they're saying there is, How long are you going to keep us wondering? How long are you going to keep us in suspense? It says, If thou be the Christ, the one that's coming, the one they were expecting, he said, they said, Tell us plainly they don't want they don't want to hear all the you know mysterious speech of god they don't want to hear the parables they don't want to have to decipher what jesus is saying they're like look quit all the quit all the foolishness quit all this stuff if you're the christ if you're the messiah then you just tell us plainly tell us openly and tell us publicly quit hiding around all this speech and everything and what i want you to see the first thing is that the first thing jesus tells them is he he pretty much exposes the fact that they don't need more information they've rejected what they've already had you see what i mean a lot of times you and i when you you'll have we've talked about this before you'll have family members friends you know whoever co-workers and and they just don't seem to grab a hold of this gospel, you know, like a saved person grabs hold. Maybe they, they doubt, maybe they need more evidence, maybe they just, you know, well, what about this argument, or what about this, that I heard this on the internet, and I seen this on the Discovery Channel, and, you know, they have all these things, these these so-called facts that are moving around, and, and how do I talk to them? What's the best argument to use? How do I explain this? How do I do these things? And the reality is that there is no argument that's going to win every time. There is no argument that you can bring them into the kingdom of heaven with. There is no, You can't argue them into believing the gospel. They've rejected the gospel before and, and the believe that I need more evidence is just an excuse. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm kind of... Go ahead. But didn't Jesus already previous to this time? Yeah. <laughs> uh, more than once. And that's what he says. Look at verse... Um, where are we at here? Verse verse 25. Okay, verse 24, they said, tell us plainly. Verse 25, he said, I told you. And, and he said, I've already told you. And he says, and you believe not. He said, so the problem is you don't need more. You don't need more evidence. You don't need more explanation. You don't. They, what they're saying is, stop telling us the parable of the sheep and all this kind of stuff. Tell us clearly. Y'all like my purple band-aid. Is it, is it, hip, is it hip, 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 hypnotic? Hypnotic, yeah. Huh? Thank you. Thank you. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Any of y'all that ate the stew yesterday? Yeah, tastes good, didn't it? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Little, little salty. Little salty. Okay. Uh, he, there is no. Uh, we often wrestle with, especially when you come around somebody that's educated, or you know, just out in the world, and they think, you know, they they have all these intelligent-sounding arguments about why you know Jesus isn't the way, why Christianity isn't true, why you can't trust the Bible, why you, I mean, there's no end to them. And so people ask all the time, "What do I say when this? How do I do this? What what? How do I? How do you answer this question?" And those are good things, and I love doing that. I love I don't have all the answers, but I love trying to find the answers. I love looking for the answers. I love seeking truth. But the reality is that 
you will, even if you argue them into the ground and they are shamed by how awesome you know everything that they're trying to say, you still will not bring them in the kingdom of heaven. Not without being born again. Not without faith in God. Not without them turning their heart toward God. So what Jesus is saying here, He says, you guys don't need more explanations. You don't need me to explain to you all the stuff because you don't believe. He said, I told you already. He said, if you're the Messiah, tell me. He said, I told you. But you don't believe. He said, the works, if you, at least you could believe my works. In verse 25 at the second part, it says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. The works that he's done, the, the healing, the, the, the miracles, the, the things, the preaching that he did. Uh, all this is stemming back to the healing of the blind man. You remember the blind man in chapter 9? He shamed the Pharisees. He is an uneducated, he was born blind, probably never learned to read, never, you know, wasn't able to go to school. They didn't have Braille back then. He probably heard a lot of uh, religious stuff. He probably knew, you know, the culture and all that kind of stuff. But he'd never been educated, had no idea about all that stuff. And he basically shamed the most educated men in Israel with the simple phrase that he kept repeating, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. I mean, that's all. He didn't argue the scriptures or how the Messiah is supposed to cut. He's like, they said, Jesus is a sinner. He said, I don't know if he's a sinner. All I know is I'm blind. I was blind. Now I can see. And they said, give God the glory. You know, go ahead and, and bring his parents in. His parents were afraid. Uh, the people, the neighbors were afraid. The Pharisees just wanted to reject it. And the blind man, all he knew, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't argue with them. But he knew that he had had a transformation in his life. And it doesn't matter what facts you give me, what religious whatever that you give me. If I was blind yesterday and I can see today, I mean, there's, you, can't, you can't argue with that. I mean, because you might have your own deal and you might believe what you want, but you can't argue with the fact that yesterday I was a blind man and today I can see you. you know? And so his simple testimony... His simple faith in what had happened to him uh, was all that he needed. Does that make sense? Okay, so he says he exposes their religion. They don't want to submit to Christ. They don't want to follow him. They don't want any of that stuff. What they want to do is crucify him. And they're going to end up doing that at the end of the book. I don't want to spoil it for you, but they end up crucifying him. Um, Yeah. So what he's going to do here, he's going to explain why they don't believe. Okay, he's, they want him to tell them plainly. Tell me plainly, are you the Messiah? And he says, I've already told you. And the problem is not that you don't understand. The problem is that you don't believe. And if you believe, then you would understand. And, that's right. That's right. They, they didn't want to lose their authority. They didn't want to lose their uh, religious whatever. They didn't want to have to submit to this carpenter from Galilee. You know? And we're the same way. I mean, although you know, there may be some people that don't want to lose their authority or prestige in the world. With us, it's just our, our, our lives. You know, I don't want to submit my authority over my own life to this Jesus guy. That's right. They want him to lead them. And then also, when he spoke the gospel, it showed they're not worthy. Right. And they need to change. They were convicted, weren't they? Right. Yeah. 
That's right. So when Jesus comes, just like the Pharisees do, a lot of us are, you know, I, I don't want to have to obey what Jesus said. I don't want to have to change my lifestyle. I don't want to have to change my thinking. I don't want to have to change who I am, what I do. I don't want to submit to this man. That was their problem. Okay? And even in Romans chapter 1, Paul basically says that there's no such thing as an atheist. He says, because everybody has a knowledge of God built into them, they're just suppressing that knowledge because they don't want to submit to God. So that's kind of what he's going. He's saying, so here in 26, he's going to explain why they don't believe. Okay, it's not that they don't understand. It's not that they're incapable of understanding his parables or anything like that. He says, he says, 26, he says, but you believe not. Why do they not believe? Because they're not of his, of his sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We'll get into that in a minute. They don't believe because they are not of his sheep. It's not about evidence. It's not about information. It's about being born again. It's being about, it's about having a supernatural encounter with God. It's about the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel coming together with your heart and taking out that stony heart and putting in a heart of flesh that turns itself toward God and and all of a sudden instead of instead of you know being like the Pharisees are in this in this passage instead of being like I don't want to submit to this Jesus I don't want him telling me what to do I don't want to follow him I don't want to and then all of a sudden it's like bang all of a sudden now I want to submit to Christ I want to do these things I want it's not that no now I'm forced to do it I'm not not robotics or anything like that we're not talking about anything like that we're talking about a heart that desires to go right and then you have a supernatural encounter with God through the gospel and the Holy Spirit and then all of a sudden my heart doesn't want to go right anymore it wants to go left or vice versa make sense so he's saying the reason you don't believe is because you're not of my sheep he's saying I'm not going to convince you by just telling you again and again and again and again and again and again. I've already told you. I've told you more than one occasion that I am He. I am the Christ. I am the Son of Man that Daniel spoke of. I am the one who's coming. I'm the I'm the King of Israel. I'm the one who's going to come and redeem you know God's people. I'm here to to fulfill all these scriptures. I've told you over and over and over and over and over. And the problem is not that you need me to tell you plainly. The problem is you. Just don't believe, yeah, and you just don't want to believe. Message last week, you know, you give them the gospel, but then, you know, after so many times, you just dust your feet and move on. That's right. That's right. Because it's not about how it's not about how good you are at witnessing or arguing or talking or or evangelize. I mean, it's not about how well you do it. Now, there is good ways and bad ways to do it. You know, like if I punch you in the face and stand over you and said, oh, you need to believe in Jesus, probably not the best way to go about it. But what I'm saying is when you give somebody the gospel, you've done what's required of you and it's up to the Holy Spirit to take that gospel and, and grab hold of their heart and convict that heart. And you can be talking to, you see it in service all the time. If you're, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but just to let y'all know a little heads up, when you're preaching, you see every turn of the head, every twitch, every scratch of the eye, it, everything. It's like all the yawns, all the, you know, the people that are laying back like this. You see, I'm talking about everything. It's like you're hyper 
I mean, you can see everything. So like all them times I thought when I was a kid, I was picking my nose and I didn't think the preacher could see me. Yes, he saw you. You know, he, he sees every little, you know, if you're behind somebody and every now and again your head tilts out from it, he sees that too. It's, everything is noticed. So what was I saying when I was going to say that? Uh, Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting to the point where they were talking about uh, a mother. Oh, she's ran off. You see? Well, now. Yeah. Never mind. What was I saying? Oh. About uh, passage about dusting your feet off. Oh, yeah. That still didn't help me. I had a good point and it was coming. <laughs> okay. I don't know. All right, so... Is he irritated with him at this point in time? Jesus? I don't know. It kind of seems like... Not irritated, but... I've done, you know, there's nothing more I can do. I've told you, you know. So I I do, I mean, you sense that because there's no more, in in chapter, in the first part of chapter 10, he's telling them the parable, you know, and he's going through these great lengths of the sheepfold and the door and the porter and the ones going, and now they're like, okay, just tell us plainly. He's like, I done told you, man. I done told you. And he says, the reason why you don't believe is because, the reason why you don't understand what I'm saying is because you don't believe. It's not that you need more explanation. Well, just when I was reading through this section of the scripture, some you talk about the Pharisees, and some of the Pharisees seemed like they wanted to believe that he was a Messiah. Yes. But they didn't want to say so because then they would know they'd be kicked out too. Right. Exactly. And a great example of that is Joseph of Arimathea, you know, the one of the Pharisees, he was on the Sanhedrin Council, you know, and so in the beginning and Nicodemus as well. In the beginning, you see these two men are kind of, they're kind of waffly about Jesus. You know, they kind of, I don't want nobody knowing what, and then at the end of the book of John, we're going to see both of these men, Joseph of Arimathea uh, and Nicodemus take Jesus' body and they go and he buys the grave for them, the, the tomb for them. So there were Pharisees that were converted. Right, right. Nicodemus did. So Jesus, he explains their unbelief that they're not his sheep. But here's the part I want for us to kind of focus on today is that Jesus is going to explain, he's going to describe his sheep. He's going to describe who they are. Uh, He tells them they're not of his sheep. In verse 27 it says, because my sheep, the first thing they do is they hear my voice. When, when, when he said hear his voice, he don't mean, the Pharisees were not deaf. They could hear the words that were coming out of his mouth. What he means is that they, they understand what he's saying. They follow what he's saying. They, they listen to what he's saying and they take heed to his words. They, they understand that he is the master and we are the servant. He is the teacher. We are the student. They understand. They follow him. It says they hear my, they hear my voice and I know them. He says, and they shall never perish, neither shall... No, no. And I know them, and they follow me. They follow me. Verse 28, and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. And then it says, I and my Father are one. So, how many characteristics of sheep do you see in there? Or when I say sheep, I mean us, Jesus' followers. You see, they hear His voice. They're known by Jesus. They follow Jesus. 
They're given eternal life by Jesus. Now, right there, they're kept. Yes, they're kept, preserved. uh, However, you want to say it, they can't lose what Jesus has given them. But when He said, "I give them eternal life," that is the point I think where the Pharisees' ears kind of, you know, because wait, 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 wait. you you give them eternal life? Is that what you just said? I mean, that you that you give. I mean, how can the Pharisees don't believe that he's God? They don't believe, you know. Then in the same thing, he goes on to say that I am. I and the Father are one. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're done. They're done. And it says in the very next verse that they pick up stones and they're... That's right. That's exactly right. So for us, I want you to see the fact that if you are in Jesus' hand, you're also in the Father's hand. Remember what we said a few weeks ago about you can't come to the Father unless you come through Jesus. So all these people who are, you know, even even Jewish people who are worshiping the God of the Old Testament are not coming to the Father. They're not coming to the God of the Old Testament because they don't come through Christ. Jesus said you cannot come to the Father unless you come through the Son. And Jesus kind of puts himself right with the father here and says and says no man can snatch them out of my hand and then he says my father is greater than all and no man can snatch him out of my father's hand and then he says I and the father we're one how are they one there's a lot there's more than one way here that they're one what do you think it is the Trinity. They are one in... I'd love to write that sentence up here and give you the Greek lesson and show you what all that means in, in that sentence. But it's uh, it's uh, it's really astounding. Huh? In one accord. Huh? Yeah, that's another way. They're in they're they're one in purpose. It says we're we're together keeping you safe, keeping you secure. No one can snatch you out of my hand, no one can snatch you out of my father's hand. So that's another way. He's saying in this sentence, he, he's saying that they're one in being, they're not one in person. Remember, we talked about the Father's a person, the Son is a person, the Holy Spirit's a person, but all three persons are one being. Remember we had that discussion? But he's saying that they're one in being. And and you can see that from the, the Greek text, but I, I'll spare you all that lesson. Just trust me. Uh, so he's saying they're one, and they're one in purpose. So think about this. If you're his sheep, no man can snatch you out of his sheepfold, which we said last week was, you know, the people of God. Now, I've had many people... Try to tell me, yeah, no one can snatch you out of his hand, but you can choose to leave. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. You can jump out. You can jump out of his hand, right. Uh, But that kind of denies exactly what the passage says. You know, it says, no one. No one. Because you're a one. And you're a one. Yeah, you're a person. You can't. And, And so... We've I've had this discussion many many a time and and the reality is the truth of the matter is if you know what the Bible says about you and about me if you could lose your salvation you would in the first ten minutes and so the reality is he says there is no one that and remember he's talking to people who were trying to take his sheep 
He's talking to Pharisees who want to crucify him, kill him, get him out of the way. And all these people that are following him around, watching him do miracles and believing him, they want to take them back to the, you know, back to the temple. And we're going to do it the way we've always done it. We're going to sacrifice animals and y'all have to come to me. I'm the high priest. Y'all have to come to me to get God's blessing over there. They're trying to take his people away from him. And they're ultimately going to have him crucified in the attempt to do that. But even in that, he's saying, nobody can take it. So the Pharisees are like, okay, tell us plainly. You need to just go on and quit all the parables. Tell us what's going on. Uh, He says, I've already told you, you don't believe. He said, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep are going to hear my voice and you can't take them. Nobody can take them out of my hand. Nobody can take them out of my sheepfold. It goes back to that parable. The shepherd doesn't let the bear come along and get the sheep. Remember we talked about David fighting off the lion and the bear? You know, if it was me, the the bear probably would have ate good that day. But nobody can take Jesus' sheep. He says, I and the Father are one. Now there's a lot I'd love to... You're going to hear, just for your own information, if this doesn't interest you, just tune this out for a second, but... In verse 30, you're going to hear that used by one of the Pentecostals and people that don't believe in the Trinity to say that Jesus and the Father are the same. It cannot be that. It cannot be that because the verb, I know this is, just tune it out if you don't want to hear it. The verb that's are, it says, I and the Father, we are one, is, is the way that it's, it can't be I and the Father are one person. It says, I and the Father, we are one. It's a plural verb. Does that make sense? That's, yeah. So, if just letting you know, when you, a, lot of, a lot of people that deny the Trinity are going to come talking about, well, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. It does, cannot mean that because it's a plural verb that's used there. So anyway, all right, back to the, back to the subject. 31. Then the, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Now, what are they finna do? They're finna kill him. Listen to kill him because two things. He said, I give my people eternal life. And he said, I and my father are one. How dare you? So he's fixing to get stoned. Not the good way either. 32 said, (laughs) okay, never mind. Jesus answered and said, many good works I've showed you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou... Uh, because that thou being man makest thyself God. Now, isn't that, it's ironic to me that really Jesus is God who made himself man. But they're claiming that he's man making himself God and they're about to kill him. So what Jesus is going to do here, what he's going to do is he is going to, this is going to be the last time they reject him. Uh, he's basically going to point out, and this is a hard argument to follow. I was debating on how deep we should get into this. Um, he's going to quote Psalm 82.6, which says, I have said you are gods. And he's going to basically show them that they do not have the authority to accuse him of blasphemy, that they're not capable of dealing with the scripture, and he's going to condemn them all in one sentence. Okay, so you might have to follow along with me. Um, it says, They've accused him of blasphemy because he makes himself God. Verse 34 says, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? That's Psalm 82.6. He quoted it. He says, If he called them gods, notice the little g, says if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, 
He says, Say ye, why do you say of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent to the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. Now that's it's a hard argument to follow. Um, if you don't have to turn there, but let me just read to you Psalm 82. It's only uh, eight verses. And let me show you the context. Now remember, if you were a Jewish man, if you were a Pharisee, you would have studied the Old Testament Scriptures your whole life. You would know them backwards and forwards. There were men, there were men in the Middle Ages, monks and you know guys in uh, uh, monasteries that could that had memorized almost all the Psalms, and they 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 sang the Psalms together each day a different Psalm. And so the Pharisee to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. So these people, we're talking about growing up in a culture saturated with God's word. They they heard the old. Testament over and over and again they they it was quoted it was used in business it was so we can't really get the understanding that Jesus would quote some obscure psalm and they would know what he's talking about because most of us don't know what you know you quote a psalm and we're like most of us don't know that's a psalm but these guys had grown up in all these so when he quotes the psalm they know from where he's quoting they know what he's talking about when he says you are gods okay Yes, there is. There is quite a few passages in Exodus, including where God calls, uh, he tells Moses, he said, you'll be a God to Pharaoh. Yeah, and the word, the word Elohim is the word for God there. It's used for people that have the uh, responsibility that God puts on them to give God's word and give God's judgment, to judge in God's name. Does that make sense? Like where Moses, when, when the people of Israel, y'all got to stay with me because this is, I know it's a hard argument to follow. The people of Israel when they were all complaining and had strife with each other, they would come to Moses and Moses would judge. Moses would say, you're right, you're wrong. And then in the book of Judges, after they had taken the land, uh, God would raise up a judge and and he he would be the one that arbitrated all these things. And so he called them by the word Elohim. Now most of the time in even in in uh, the King James translation, sometimes it doesn't translate it as God's. It translates it as judges because that's what it means. But for them, if you they use the word sometimes to describe people that had the authority of God. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Yes. Right. They didn't think that they were divine. Is it? Yes. That's right. They didn't think that they were divine. They didn't think that they were actually a god or the god. They just knew that they were judges with the authority of God. And in Psalm Psalm eighty two six is what Jesus quotes, where it says, "I said you are God." Listen to it. It says, "God stands in judgment." God stand in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. Okay. How long, and he's talking to men, not talking to fake gods or anything. He's talking to the judges. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? So he's talking to judges who aren't doing their job. 
He says, verse 3, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. That's what they're supposed to do. Deliver the poor and the needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Pull them away from the wicked. Verse 5 says, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. He's talking about these men that he's appointed to be judges. And then verse 6 says, I have said, you are God's. And all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So what Jesus quotes to them is not a psalm where it says, hey, didn't God say you were gods too? And so we're all gods. You know, it's not like he's saying that. Basically, he's he's telling them that didn't he say you are gods? He's quoting Psalm 82 about these unjust judges who are getting God's judgment put on them. So what he's saying is you unjust judges don't have the right to accuse me of blasphemy, number one. And number two, he says, he's saying that you not only do you not have the authority, but you are indeed what the psalmist is talking about here. People that don't defend the poor, people that don't defend the needy, people who are not trying to snatch people out of the hands of the wicked. You are the ones who are feeding all these people into, into death, hell, and oblivion. You want this blind man who's, instead of being healed and being restored his sight, you would rather have him stay blind so he could be under your religious authority. So Jesus is telling them all this in just one little quote of an Old Testament passage. Do y'all follow that? Is there any questions? Yes. So he not only answered their question, but reprimanded them at the same time. Yes. And which is really cool. I need to learn to do that because <laughs> I, I could definitely use that. He, by saying, they said, we're going to kill you because you said that you're, because you're making yourself God. And by quoting this passage, they take away, he takes away their authority to kill him because the scripture itself, it says the scripture can't be broken. It says that, that the judges are called gods as well. Doesn't mean deity. Doesn't mean divine. Means they possess the authority of God. They're given the responsibility of judging for God. So he takes away the only accusation they have against him. And at the same time, he's calling them unjust judges who are reaping the judgment of God upon them. Okay? And I also love the fact that with this being the Old Testament, the Pharisees knowing that this was, or you know, this was God's word, the, you know, the law of Moses and all that, that right. was from God. And in, in Psalm 82, he says, I have said you are God's, and I love the fact that over here in John, the New Testament, he said over here, um, is it not written in your law? I said. So, you know, he is saying, I'm the one that said that. Mm-hmm. I've lost John. No. Huh? John I, 34. I, no, I've lost it in my 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 page turn. Yeah, he said, I said you had... Right. You know, because he, he's, he's saying, I'm the one that said that. Back yeah. in Psalms 82. That's right. What? Nothing? Okay. All right, let's, let's finish up. So, now where'd it go? I'm still in... Okay, it says, 37, if, if I do not the works of my Father, then don't believe me. Believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works. He's like, even if you can't... Look, I shouldn't have to explain the parable to you. Even if you don't understand what I'm saying... 
You see what I'm doing. You see the miracles that God's doing through me. Not only that, but they knew from the Old Testament what works the Messiah would do when He come. And Jesus was doing these works. He was restoring sight to the blind. He was, yes. So they did that to shut Him down and then they dropped the rocks and went to... No, no. No, we're, when we get to the next verse, it'll, it'll explain all to you. Like Dana, when we're watching a movie, she's like, what is that guy? I was like, I don't know, I didn't write this episode. <laughs> I do that to Dana, though, not to you. It says, okay, I'm sorry, let's read, let's read the whole thing. No, I really not. But if I do, believe not me, believe the works that you may know, and believe in the Father is in me and I in him. And then verse 39 says, Therefore they sought again to take him, and that means to arrest him. But he escaped out of their hands. So they're not going to stone him anymore. Now they're just going to arrest him because he took away the only accusation they had for a death sentence, which blasphemy. Go ahead. You're, you're quizzically looking like you want to... Because like, that's not the first time it's like he's... Out there and I'm yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That is, it, it's it's purposefully ambiguous. It doesn't say. And this is this is not only does it do it. This is the third or fourth time it's done it in this gospel, but it does it also in a couple of the other gospels. I don't have a definitive answer for you because it says that uh, people in his own hometown tried to kill him and he just passed through the midst of them. I, I don't know what that means. Huh? I mean, you have to believe that. Oh, yeah, definitely. What did you say? So do you think he miracled it? Or like... He miracled it, yeah. She's, she's, she is both asking a question and condemning me with one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> she says I shouldn't use miracle as a verb, but Jesus miracled a bunch of things. Alright, so anyway, he escaped out of their midst. Okay, now here's the last three verses. This is going to be the polar opposite of what we've just seen. It says, And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him, many came unto him, and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spoke of this man were true, and many believed on him there. You see these men, they... They they weren't they weren't uh, they weren't consumed with questions of of you know technical things. Let me let me make sure that I can you know let's let's ask, what about this Jesus? What about this Jesus? Uh, you know they weren't asking questions to find the little loophole that's going to let them out of the deal. They came and and all they had was the testimony of John. That's all they had. Remember what John said? There's one coming after me that that he's before me and he's going to be the 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 lamb that takes away the sin of the world. They saw this Jesus. They saw the works that he was doing everywhere he went. The blind were seeing. People were being fed. People were being healed, demons cast out, and they said everything that John said is true about this man. And no, as, as easy as it says that, it says, and they believed on him. So it wasn't a matter of him going around convincing. It wasn't a matter of him arguing people into the kingdom. It wasn't a matter. The Pharisees in this chapter did not believe. They didn't want to believe. And so no amount of explanation was going to do them any good because their hearts were turned away. And anything that anything that he would have brought to them would have been just, they would have used it to find a loophole. And then you got these other people who they hadn't seen or heard anything except for the testimony of John. And when they saw Jesus coming... 
Jesus was, you know, doing his stuff. He was healing people. He was probably preaching. He was doing the ministry that he was doing and was accompanied by all these things. And when they saw him doing uh, what he was doing as the Messiah, heard the words that he said, he said, you know what? John said, told us he was coming and here he is. And they just believed on him. Simple as that. You see how hard it seemed for, if you would have stopped in like verse 39, verse 40, it would seem pretty dang hard to get into the kingdom of heaven, don't you think? Because, I mean, Jesus is wrestling with these guys. He's, I mean, verbally going around and, you know, they're playing Old Testament games with scriptures and going back and forth. You know, it just seems like this big difficult deal when the reality is he take, you know, he just walks over there where John used to baptize before John beheaded and says, you know, I'm here and many believe. Bang, just like that. They're in the kingdom. You see how, you see the difference? That it, it's, it's, it's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of, you know, if you can't explain it right, then, you know, you're whatever. If you, if you don't have all the answers to any of the questions people are going to ask, then you don't need to be. And that's one of the biggest fears that we have, you know, is like, what if I don't, what if I don't do a good job? What if I don't say the right thing? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? I'm going to look stupid. You know? The reality is that it's the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel that does all the work. All you're doing is giving the message. I, I like to tell the students it's uh there we gotta go. I like to tell the, the youth that we're basically just handing out lightning rods in a thunderstorm. I don't really know where lightning's gonna strike, but I know when it hits it's gonna hit that rod. And so we're handing out the gospel, hoping that the Holy Spirit is going to come and grab the, grab that heart and make that gospel effective in that heart. And they're going to, you know, the conviction of God is going to come on them. You know, you tell the gospel to one guy, you can have two people sitting in these two chairs right here, and you give them the same speech, the same message. I mean, you're talking to both of them at the same time, and God will grab a hold of one, and the other one will say, "That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard." You know, it's just it, it, it's it's the it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. It's the gospel. That's the power of God unto salvation. So that's kind of what I see going on in the chapter here. Jesus has told us in plain terms that he's God. He's told us in plain terms that he's the Messiah and that you got to come through him. But you got one group that they just refuse to believe because they want to keep their sin. They want to keep what they got. They want to keep who they are. And you got another group that they've given up all they are. Later on, Peter's going to say, or back in chapter six, Peter said, we've given up all to follow you. And, and they, uh, they just trust him for who he is. Make sense? You have any questions? Anything? Do you see how the book's kind of flowing so far? You know, he started off with John the Baptist, and then Nicodemus, and then the woman at the well, and then uh, the healing of the Bethesda, and then now that's where the trouble starts, and the Pharisees start getting in the picture because he healed that guy in chapter 5, and then chapter 6, he runs all these people off that are trying to seek after him for bread and food. Uh, Chapter 7, what was chapter 7? John 7. Remember. Anyway, you see how it's kind of flowing together. So it's coming to the it's coming to the head right here at the at chapter at chapter twelve uh, chapter twelve and thirteen. It's going to come to the 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 head where it's all going to break loose, and then from chapter thirteen to the end of the book of John is all about the last week of Jesus's life 
and it's mostly going to be Jesus himself teaching his disciples. So we're going to get a lot of meat out of chapters 13 through the end of the book because most of it is Jesus just talking and telling his disciples and teaching. And so basically what I want you to think about is what we're going to do is we're going to be his disciples and we're going to sit around. We're just going to listen to Jesus talk. And that's how the book of John ends. Okay? All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much, God, for opening your word to us, God. I pray that you would bring understanding, God, to uh, to, to all these people, Lord, who've, who've listened. And uh, I pray that I, I hadn't messed it up where it was too confusing or, or, or anything like that, God. Uh, ask that you would come and that you would...